Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Here we are in such a weird time. And as many have already noted, this time will forever be a reference point for the rest of our lives. And so in light of all that has transpired uh, since I last did a solo episode, um, today I thought we could talk about the coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic and that we can um, explore this idea together. And some of you no doubt are like, oh, please, I was hoping you were going to do an episode on something else. And I understand that because this is all we've been talking about in these days, which makes sense. Because if you're a sports fan, all professional sports are gone across the globe. Like ESPN is playing repeat college basketball games from 2008. If politics is your thing, um, well, those have taken a backseat in the news. I just saw an article today about Joe Biden trying to remind people like, hey, this is still happening. We're we're still doing this. Uh, Here in Denver and throughout the state of Colorado, bars and restaurants are closed except for takeout service. And that's true in Colorado until April 30, true in the city of Denver until May 11. Schools are closed. My kids have been home nonstop for, I want to say, 10 years. And if you're a parent, you know I want to say that, but it's really been 10 days. Um, Universities have, uh, many of them have finished their academic year. Um, Parties, get-togethers, events, retreats, everything's been canceled Um, All of my travel plans have been canceled through June now. Uh, Ski resorts are closed. And so when it comes to the things that bring us together, all of a sudden we realize so many things that bring us together are gone, except for like Netflix and maybe a few books that are popular right now. It's gone. And so it's like the one thing that's connecting us and the one thing that we're talking about is the COVID-19 pandemic. And so today... Um, the episode's titled Conversations About the COVID-19 Pandemic. And, and this episode is really reflective of two kinds of conversations that I've been having over the last bit here. First is the conversation I've been having with myself. Um, the thoughts that I've been ruminating on as I'm journaling, as I'm exercising, going for walks, whatever it is. And the second is the conversations I'm having with others. Now, These are the conversations where I'm listening to people kind of process, share, talk about how this is impacting them, impacting their job. And I want to be clear, this episode has nothing to do with the science, like the medical side of things at all. Does not have to do with community spread, the virus itself, or how contagious it is. I'm going to leave all of that to the experts. And for what it's worth, here's a hint. Everyone should leave that to the experts rather than offering more opinions about exactly what is happening. But I digress. So I, w- I want to share some of the thoughts um, that has surfaced as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so just before we jump into that fully, one quick note is this. Our next episode... Uh, which comes out in a couple of weeks, we'll be responding to your questions. So I've already received a few. And if you want to explore something together on the next podcast, please send me an email to michael at michael-hidalgo.com or you can direct message me on Facebook or Instagram um, and and just say, hey, I'd love to explore this or here's a question I have or whatever it is. And we'll see how much we can work in. But for today... Something we can't get enough of, apparently. The coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic. I I want you to think back 
three weeks ago. So that would have been March 3rd. So on Tuesday, March 3rd, if uh, let's suppose that you and I had an appointment scheduled, if you had gotten an email from me or a text and I said, hey, uh, we have an appointment scheduled for tomorrow or the next day, but I'm practicing social distancing, so can we make that a video call? March 3rd, 21 days ago, you would have had no idea what I was talking about. It would have been like, what do, you, what do you mean social distancing? That's how quickly this thing has come into our world, into our lives, as swept across the country in the entire globe. This is massive sweeping change that has made an impact on nearly everything we do every single day, and its impact has been felt everywhere. I heard someone say that this has no boundaries to it. So it's in every country, in every continent, in every sector of society, homes and schools and universities and houses of worship, halls of government, commerce, our financial institutions, um, sports across the globe. Everywhere we we turn, people are being impacted by the coronavirus, which means we are in a brand new world and it changed in what felt like seconds Not only that, but it seems to be changing every single moment. I mean, you have to to work hard just to keep up with the updates of what's happening out here in Colorado and in the city of Denver with regard to closures and dates and how things are shifting and what number of uh, people can actually gather together. It was 250, then it was 50, now it was 10. And it's just rapid change all the time. And with every news story comes another announcement something new from a governor or a political leader or from our president, a new perspective, information and research that we didn't just know yesterday. And so we're trying to define what's normal now. And we're attempting to understand what we can and cannot do along with what we should and should not do. And the things that we're trying to figure out, by the way, these are not big things. These are things that we largely have done for all of our adult lives without even thinking We're talking about like tasks as simple as going to the grocery store or when we're going to connect with our friends or um, speaking with our neighbors, going to the bank, how we're going to work at our job, um, how we will travel, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. I mean, all of that has changed. We have to think about these things now. And for many, this has been extremely difficult because on top of all of that, There have been so many who have felt the stress of losing income. I said already that in Denver, all bars and restaurants have been closed by the order of the mayor. That was like a 24-hour notice I think he gave. Um, And so servers and bartenders overnight lost their source of income. Gyms closed. A friend of mine um, makes uh, part of her income uh, as a yoga instructor. That's gone um, for several weeks. Uh, personal trainers lost their income. Um, a friend of mine who worked for a company in California, 90% of the employees were laid off with like a two, I think it was a two or four week severance. And so as I've watched all this unfold, what keeps going through my mind is we have been forced across a threshold. Now I spoke about thresholds a little bit uh, this past Sunday, March 22nd on Facebook Live on Denver Community Church's Facebook page, but I want to go a little bit deeper with that, and I want to give actually some other thoughts here on the idea of crossing a threshold. 
Now, if you're familiar with this language, maybe you're not, this uh, idea comes from the great Joseph Campbell, and it's in his book, Hero with a Thousand Faces. Just a little bit ago, I talked about the hero's journey uh, on one of our episodes, but there's one place in the hero's journey, uh, I believe it's the fifth movement, which he talks about crossing the first threshold. And this is one movement in the larger framework of mythic storytelling. And Campbell observes in his book, that there are patterns to great stories and myths and tales that have been told across civilizations and time. And the movement of crossing the threshold is the moment, you could say it this way, it's the moment when the story takes off. It's the moment when things get really interesting. It's the moment when you go, oh my goodness, I have no idea where this is taking me because I have no idea where it's taking the hero. The threshold takes the hero out of their normal everyday life into a new world and that's where the adventure begins. Campbell writes this in uh, Hero of the Thousand Faces. He says, the adventure of crossing the first threshold is always and everywhere a passage beyond the veil of the known into the unknown. And the unknown is what lay just beyond the protected zone of the village boundary. It is only by advancing beyond those bounds that the individual passes either alive or in death into a new zone of experience. The folk mythologies populate with deceitful and dangerous presences in every desert place outside the normal traffic of the village. The regions of the unknown are free fields for the projection of unconscious content. So this is his idea of this is what this uh, crossing the threshold is. You're going into this unknown. You're going beyond the protection of your village. You're going across the boundaries. And by the way, you see this all the time um, in the sacred text. You see this with the Israelites crossing over the Red Sea. You see this with Jesus and his disciples multiple times when he says they crossed to the other side. They're going to the unknown. They're going somewhere that's beyond what their village has deemed safe. You might say it that way. And he finishes by saying the regions of the unknown are free fields for the projection of unconscious content. Chris Vogler um, wrote a book called The Writer's Journey. He actually wrote it for screenwriters. uh, And it's a great reflection and reduction of Campbell's work. And it really shows you, the, the reader, how to build a strong story according to the model of the hero's journey. And he speaks, of course, about crossing the threshold, and he writes this. He says, We enter a strange no-man's land, a world between worlds, a zone of crossing that may be desolate and lonely or in places crowded with life. You sense the presence of other things, other forces with sharp thorns or claws guarding the way to the treasure you seek. But there's no turning back now, and we all feel it. And then he concludes with this. He says, heroes don't always land gently. They may crash into the other world, literally or figuratively. Now, these journeys, these, uh, th- th- this crossing the threshold, they're often met by threshold guardians. And I, we're not going to get into that today. But these are figures who attempt, you from, or, or attempt to keep you from crossing into that threshold. These are people who want you to keep doing business as usual, keep you in bounds, keep you in the village. And by the way, we have some serious threshold guardians going on right now. People who are like, it's going to be fine. We're we're fine. Everything's going to go back to normal. The economy is going to bounce back. Those are all this, that's all threshold guardian language. Um, 
But, but I want us to keep this image in mind of going into something, of going somewhere new, this image of us going into the unknown, a new zone of experience, places outside the normal traffic of the village, a strange no man's land, a world between worlds. This is where we are. And it helps to remember, no one currently alive has ever been here. Those who are in leadership don't know where to lead us because they've not been here either. So they can have some ideas, but they're actually, I heard someone say the other day, I'm tired of seeing leaders just respond to what's happening and react to what's happening. I'm like, well, they can't anticipate. (laughs) I mean, at some level they can, but no one's actually been here. We were all thrown into this together. And so the image that's come to my mind over and over in the conversations I've had, conversations with myself, with my family, with friends, with neighbors, and with those who are part of DCC, the language, the image, the metaphor is that of threshold crossing. And by the way, it helps to know that thresholds are not always a crossing undergone willingly by the hero. There are times where the hero is like, thrown across the threshold through no choice of their own. And that's where we are. And to use Vogler's language in our current moment of quarantining and quarantining and social distancing and the COVID-19 pandemic, we have crashed into the other world. That's how we've gone into it. We've crashed into it figuratively, of course. And so here's why I say all of this. There are two things I want to observe about what both Campbell and Vogler have written. And it's one observation from each of them. And my hope is that these will be helpful and that they can help us take our next steps into this strange new world that is unfolding before us. So the first observation is a bit more abstract or theoretical. The second observation is more practical. So with that said, the first observation is from Campbell when he speaks of this new world. He says this at the very end. The regions of the unknown, or the places of the unknown world, are free fields for the projection of unconscious content. Now, there is so much depth to that statement, and I'm not going to unpack it all, (laughs) partly because I can't, uh, meaning like it's just too much for me. Second, because there's one facet of this I really want to hone in on, uh, and that is the unconscious content. Now, um, this idea of the unconscious, our shadow is one part of this. Some would say it's the first level of it, one part, one level of of this unconscious content. Uh, And it's a place within each of us. And for many, it's a place largely repressed or ignored because there are things within us that quite honestly, we'd rather not engage. But in this new world, what happens is this unconscious content begins to surface and it comes out as projections. And the hero has to face them as terrifying as that may be. And so when they have this fear, when they have this unknowing, all of these things, he says like this new world, it just becomes this open place for you to begin projecting all sorts of stuff in your unconscious. And, and it can be terrifying. But if the journey and the story in which the hero finds themselves is actually going to lead toward any real transformation or lead toward any renewal. And by the way, every good story does that to the hero. It transforms them or renews them. Um, Then the journey 
can't be pleasant. Like the stories that are just good from beginning to end are the worst kind of stories. We want to see stories of real struggle. And, and so for this to happen, this is, this is the hero going into this new world. And this is where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in this new world, a free field for the projection of unconscious content. And this is a, by the way, this is a very terrifying place. And it's terrifying not because of coronavirus being out there. It's terrifying because suddenly the things we have long kept buried, whether conscious or unconscious, are now being projected out of us. It's really unsettling. James Hollis uh, writes this. He says, we are all reluctant to recognize the place and role of our fear, to acknowledge its ubiquity and experience it without defenses. There is a natural predilection for keeping it unconscious. The traffic which floods one's sensibility and is projected or imposed is always fear-based, but disguised in a thousand subtle variations. We are all reluctant to recognize the place of our fear, to recognize that this fear is everywhere, to experience it without explaining it away or defending it. And there's almost like this natural part of us that just keeps it kind of unconscious. Um, but when it comes to all of the thoughts that we have, what he says is, yeah, our projections are always fear-based, but they're just really well disguised. And I start with this observation because in and through this moment, there's one thing that's rather consistent and it's there just beneath the surface. And at times it's right in your face. Of course, I'm talking about fear. We are afraid. I am afraid. You are afraid. We are afraid. And it's possible we've been carrying like for a very long time, a deep seated fear within us. Um, collectively, we are scared. And I'm not sure we are entirely certain what we are scared of. In fact, this is why it's unconscious. We're, we're not walking around saying, I'm scared of this, and I'm scared of this, and I'm scared of this. But collectively in our culture, fear has become like, it's like background noise. It's, it's always there. We've just learned to like tune it out and talk over it. And I don't think, by the way, this is anything new. I just think this moment is revealing what's long been lurking within us collectively and within us individually. I had a friend uh, text me a few weeks ago. I actually shared this uh, on another Facebook thing, I don't know, three weeks ago or so. Um, and he said, this is apocalyptic, talking about this whole um, coronavirus thing. And at this point, we were still up and at them. The United States hadn't really had any response. And um, I agree with him in the sense that apocalyptic is something that carries within it revelation. Like the word apocalyptic is a great revealing so events like this don't cause something as much as they reveal something. Um, and so when we think about what it's revealing, what it's revealing is this fear that we've long had with us. And now coronavirus is up and we're projecting all of our fear onto this virus. And it's worth saying, by the way, that we often talk about fear as though if one experiences it, they're, they're like a lower life form. Um, there are all kinds of memes going around and posts on social media with pe where people are like, oh, I'm not afraid and don't be afraid. And, you know, we need to move past our fear or we need to ignore the voices of fear. Um, and I don't want to judge the heart of anyone posting those things, 
but it has the power to communicate like fear is below us. And by the way, if we say things like just move past your fear and you don't actually stop and turn and look into it, you actually miss a chance for growth. Um, and I think, um, we, we need to recognize that we're fear. I'm afraid. I have fear in this time. Um, there are things that are deeply troubling and concerning about this, this moment. And by the way, um, my friend Nadia Bowles-Weber did a great eight-minute Instagram live uh, video about fear and love. I would highly recommend um, you watching that. But anyway, it's important to remember fear is given to us. It's a part of us. And burying that part of us is not helpful. And too often what we do is we actually do bury it. And then in times like this, it comes out. And not just what we're really afraid of, but the fear that we've long held within us is what comes out. And it comes out in our uh, collectively in our country. And like I said, I don't think it's a fear about the coronavirus. You see, there is something out there uh, that we can be afraid of right now. It's called the corona. Like we can point out and be like, okay, there is something out there we can be afraid of. And so the way our fear is coming out right now is people like, oh, this can make us sick, but how sick can it make us? Who can get this? Um, how is it spread? And am I washing my hands enough? And do I have the right hand sanitizer? What about my older friends? Like for me, um, my mom is near 80. Um, mom, if you're listening, you don't look a day over 59. Um, but she's near 80. She has some respiratory issues. W what about her? I can't keep her safe against something I can't see. Um, what about money? We talked earlier about people who are losing jobs. Will I have enough? Uh, how do I spend it? How long are we going to be separated from each other? Can I make it? What's next for me? I just lost my job. Do I have to move? Um, and so we can point at those things and say, this is what we're afraid of. But it's possible that really what this moment has done is it's surfaced our deep fears. And now we're projecting them onto this invisible thing something that we've never encountered, something that's thrown us across the threshold into this new world, and it is scary. And so I've considered this um, and reflected on my own self, and I see the ways I'm scared. I see how I'm scared for others. Um, there have been so many people who've reached out over the last week through email and text to me, uh, just sharing with me some of their fear, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. Um, because there's no pandemic class in seminary. Like you're just confronted. I'm confronted with like how limited I am in my role um, because I never expected to have to respond to a question about social distancing. Uh, I'm scared for my family. My kids, um, they were just given three weeks out of school before distance learning starts. So their anxiety came up of like, whoa, 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 we have plans this summer. We were going to go work at a camp this summer. Are they going to extend school? What if we miss camp? Can, can we still do that? That's like one of our, we were so excited to do this together. My oldest son and daughter, were going to do that together. Um, so now we're asking questions about summer and schedules. And um, we were, spo we're supposed to go to my nephew's wedding. Is that still going to happen or is it not? It was going to be the first time that all of my siblings and I were together in one place in almost 20 years because there's six of us and it's hard to plan that. Um, what about money? I mean, these are real fears. Are we going to be okay? Uh, what about people we know and that we love and that I know and love who are losing jobs? Um, all of these things are real. And all of them, by the way, are orbiting around the virus in the pandemic. 
But the question becomes this, and this is what I want to drill into. Is it possible that beneath all of those things that I've just named, is it possible that beneath all of those things, there are simply free fields for the projection of our unconscious content? Let me rephrase it. Is it possible that beneath all those things, that those things have simply become the field for us to project our fears onto? So when I think about, like myself, those deeper fears that are within me, some of which I am aware of, others I'm not aware of, those are often the places I don't want to go, the places that I don't want to look. But in moments like this, what happens is those fears almost begin to get like unlocked and unleashed and come out of us in the form of a projection. I don't want to see that. Like, honestly, right now in this moment, as I'm sitting here in my basement recording this podcast because we're not working in our building. Um, in this moment, all I, I just want to know what to do. Tell me what to do in this moment, and I'll do it. Daryl Sharp writes this. He said, I used to have a fantasy that somewhere there was a big book of collective wisdom that was titled, What to Do When. It contained the prescribed solution to all of life's problems. Whenever you found yourself in a conflict, you could just look it up in the book and do what it said. If there were a book like that, I wouldn't have to think for myself. I'd just do what was laid down by tradition. I'm serious. <laughs> so many times over the last few days, I've thought of that quote, and I'm like, man, I would love a book like that. Who wouldn't? Like right now, if we're honest, all of us would love what to do when a pandemic strikes and you're forced with social distancing. Be because if we had that book, as he says, we wouldn't have to think. We would, not, we would not be forced to think. And of course, we don't have that luck. But what's interesting is we've not stopped trying fi to find ways to amuse ourselves. Amuse means without thought. In other words, we've not stopped trying to find something that will free us from having to think about this. At some level, we're all trying to escape. We're all trying to find that book. Um, something that will keep our minds inactive, that will engage a part of it that just kind of gets pulled away from all of the reality that we find ourselves in. Uh, maybe I can say it this way. We want to find something that will keep us away from the deeper fears that are within each of us. It's almost as though we are trying to find things to be scared of. Because if we don't, we might have to turn and look at the fears that we actually carry within us. And again, I want to say none of this is said with judgment. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you and everybody else. I don't think that we even know that we're doing it. Uh, and I think this is why we have to stop and have conversations with ourselves, conversations about the COVID-19 pandemic. Otherwise, we're going to go right on into this new world and become more bloated with fear. And I say more bloated with fear because in an attempt to almost like not look at our own fears, we're like just soaking up all sorts of information that's not proving to be helpful. Um, social media, anyone? <laughs> what about the news media? And by the way, this is all sides. And I know, by the way, that I'm entering tricky territory because there's a lot of hot opinions about um, the news media right now. And some would say like, uh, I just said to somebody something about like reading the CDC website and National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. And they're like, oh no, you don't want to do that, man, because the government's controlling what content's on there and they don't want you to know the truth. And like, we need free press. And I mean, so 
no matter what I say, uh, people are going to disagree and that's fine. You should, you should not agree with everything I say. Um, and we do need a free press, but, but let me just make the observation. What's happening right now with the press and the media is that the way things are often reported is leading us into absolute bonkers, lunacy, and hysteria. Um, not everything, but many things. Here's one example. Uh, there was an article um, quoting a, an individual. I can't remember. I think his name was like Justin something. And uh, the title of the article said, a 12-year-old girl fighting for her life against COVID-19. A 12-year-old girl fighting for her life against COVID-19. So I read the article, and the opening talks about how she had some symptoms early on, and then she got tested. And then it has a quote, the, the, the source, like the expert talking about her fighting for her life, is her cousin. Now, nothing against her cousin, but I'm sure in that moment there was a lot of emotions swirling. Right after he says she's fighting for her life, it says she's, she's in a hospital in stable condition. Oh, okay. Stable condition does not mean you're fighting for your life. Now, not to take anything away from the reality that this fam- of what this family is walking through and the fear and everything else of losing a daughter or whatever it is, but like, come on. Could we not just talk about, like, there's a 12-year-old girl who was diagnosed, and we think this is an interesting story. What's interesting to them is that line, fighting for her life. That, all of a sudden now, if you have a 12-year-old, what does that do? It kind of scares you. There was another um, article, and by the way, I could give you, like, 400 examples. Um, And it came out and talked about, like, America is going to have to shelter in months for, or or shelter in place for 18 months. (laughs) The opening paragraph was like, well, okay, not really, but could you imagine? And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, are you? So again, you get people to go uh, toward these crazy headlines. And I've been looking at the, the most fear-ridden headlines on purpose, because if you read the whole article, you realize like they're literally just trying to get you to click on it. Because in the words of one of our fearless poets, Ben Haggerty, they live for clicks because this is economics. Um, and then, like I said earlier, social media right now is just a cesspool. Like there is not enough toilet paper to clean up Facebook. <laughs> um, honestly, it is the, it is filled with just all kinds of misinformation, people like fighting and dividing. And I'm like, my, this is like the worst side of humanity because there's incredibly beautiful, powerful stories being told every single day about what's happening. Um, but we keep somehow running to this, to the media, to the fear, to the social media. You know, it, we're like people rubbernecking at a traffic accident when we're driving on the other side of the highway. And um, let me say this. We need to listen and we need to stay up to date. But uh, we cannot be in a place where we are drawn only to the train wrecks. This only exacerbates fear. And the more that we get hyped up, about coronavirus. And by the way, let me say it again in case you didn't hear me. Yes, it is scary. Absolutely. But the more that we give ourselves over to that, we're, the, the, the um, possibility is this. It is the power to distract us from the deepest fears within us. And so if to stay up to date, um, go after reputable news sources, take it in doses. Um, 
I know some of you have like an altered schedule. We'll talk about that in a bit. But don't be on this thing 24-7. Take it in doses. And I think we've developed so many unhealthy habits. Actually, I don't think. I know we, myself included, have developed so many unhealthy habits with regard to technology and escapism. Um, And these things not only are already, but could even to a greater degree become very problematic in the days ahead. We have to remember we're on a journey. We've crashed into this new world. Uh, And not just you and not just your friends, all of us, which means it is incumbent upon us to contemplate how we will learn to live. Because the tricks that got us through the day in the old world will not work anymore. And so I wonder, with all this talk about fear, and what are, our, what are our deepest fears? And is this idea of the coronavirus is unlocking something that's deeper? I wonder, what if we allow this time to be for us? A journey into the deeper parts of ourselves. Remembering that no matter what we find there, whether it's deep wounds, uh, maybe it's secrets even unknown to ourselves, it's fears, whatever it is, um, that no matter how deep we dive, no matter how ugly, terrifying it may seem, that we're not the first ones there. That actually when we go to that place, we, we, that's the place where we find God. That's the place where we find God's grace. And we find God sitting amidst all of that crud and stuff inside of us that we'd rather not look at, already embracing it. There's a beautiful story from the Jewish tradition about a rabbi who was looking for the Messiah And he was speaking to the prophet Elijah. And he said, where is the Messiah? And he said, the Messiah is outside the city gate. And he said, he's sitting there among the lepers. And he said, well, then how will I know who the Messiah is? And he said, because he is the one who's changing and dressing the wounds of the lepers and changing their bandages. This is this idea like what we learn in the person of Jesus is he doesn't go to like the really nice shiny places, does he? He goes to the hard places. So go there knowing it's already embraced and graced by God. Um, And so I wonder like, what if when fear arises within us these days, what if we have that moment of, oh, I don't know if I have enough. Oh, what happens if so-and-so gets this? What happens if I get it? What if um, we do all we can to stop and take a breath to remember we are loved, to remember that heaven is always saying to earth, do not be afraid. And what if we take a couple of minutes with that and then ask, what am I really afraid of? What fear might be below the surface? Now you might be thinking, well, that that could get really messy really quick. Yep, it can, <laughs> uh, and it will But those are the best stories, Um, are the the stories that are messy, the stories that are hard, the stories that are difficult, but move toward healing. And these are the lives, by the way, we want to imitate when we see them. And it is only when our fear is made conscious that we can ever expect to evolve and grow. So maybe we've been served up an opportunity to actually get more in touch with our fears, Uh to pause and what is it that I'm really afraid of? What are the wounds that I'm trying to protect here? 
And, and this time, by the way, in this new world, in the unknown, in the new zone of experience, the places outside the normal traffic of the village, a strange no man's land, a world between worlds. This is a place in which we have an opportunity to come face to face with our fears to see them maybe more clearly than during the normal humdrum of life. This is a time for us to heal and to grow, to be reborn and reshaped. And while we did not get to choose whether or not we would cross the threshold, we do get a choice as to how we will live in this new world because we cannot go back to the way things were. And this is my second observation, this one from Chris Vogler. Now this this observation gets more practical um, because remember when Vogler writes about crossing the threshold, he says, you sense the presence of other beings, other forces with sharp thorns or claws guarding the way to the treasure you seek. But there's no turning back now. We all feel it. And that's, by the way, that's where we are. We can't go back. I sound like Jack on an episode of Lost, although he wanted to go back. Um, but there's no turning back, and we all feel it. And I think, again, this might be some of the stress. Like, we're not going back to the way things were at any time. Um, and I point this out for a few reasons. First, I found myself thinking, I wish this had never happened. Like, I just, I mean, I think all of us at one moment have been like, man, I wish this has never happened. And by the way, I... I say that, and I recognize I've not had it that that difficult um, with regard to all of this. And I'm still thinking, man, I wish this had never happened. Um, I found myself thinking like, well, it's just, it'll be better when everything gets back to normal. Uh, but I've noticed within me, there's a stress about the fact that not only do we not really know when this will be over, but we really don't know what life will be like when this is over. And like any good human, when I am confronted with a deeply uncertain future, I want to find sure footing somewhere. And so what I'm finding the need to tell myself day after day after day is this, one day at a time. Right now, right now, one day at a time. Don't project down the road because you can't. Even if things were normal, by the way, you don't know what tomorrow holds for you. So let's just stop. Let's just stop and say, what can we do today? What needs to be done right now? One of the big shifts that I've um, noticed in my work at DCC is uh, how much of my energy and time has become about what is right here, right now. That's it. Like we're not having long conversations about what you know what we're going to do at the head of 2021. It's like right here, right now, keeping up on communication, keeping up on the information that's flowing from the governor's office and the mayor's office, so that we can uh, help our congregation know what next steps look like. Working on keeping people connected, uh, working on responding to prayer requests when people put the, them in. So it's like right now, right now right now. And maybe this is a question that we can ask ourselves. There's no going back. We all feel it. So how are we doing right now? Not, what am I going to do if, no, 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 no. How am I doing right now? How am I doing right now? See, we, we can't make plans, really. And we can't really forecast. 
We cannot predict. I mean, there are some people that are like, well, you know, it's going to get a lot worse. We don't know what that means. Well, you know, we're two weeks behind Italy. We don't know what that means. Right now, what can I do today? We can't predict. I think it was Yogi Berra who said, it's really hard to predict the future. Um, But I mean, think about the words of Jesus. Consider the birds, he says. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Consider the birds. He concludes this by saying, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. By the way, maybe you like me in this, in this moment, you're hearing and experiencing and seeing things differently. Like with music, each lyric now seems to have like this new layer of meaning. And I think the same for me is true when it comes to the sacred text that uh, there's like this whole new layer that's been put over it that we're looking through as we read it. Um, and so when I read Jesus's words, each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm like, don't, don't you hear that in a new way with a new layer? Like, yes, yes, right now. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Consider the birds today, this moment. And by the way, when you say, how am I doing right now? Um, show yourself the same amount of grace, as much grace as possible. Um, but ideally, <laughs> give yourself the same amount of grace that's already been given to you. So if you say, how am I doing right now? I'm a wreck. I'm an absolute wreck. Okay, name that without judgment as much as possible. Um, what do I need to do right now? Well, when you make a decision... Um, when you choose to do what seems best right now in that moment, let's again be gracious. I've seen so many people who get paralyzed analyzing all of the decisions that they have to make and what happens if, what happens if, what happens if. No, 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 no. Um, We all need to give ourselves a lot of grace and give grace to a lot of people who are making difficult decisions. Um, We need to make it and not overthink every choice. Uh, or talk about all the reasons it won't work. It's a new world. You don't know what actually may or may not work. Go for it. Try something. See what happens. Because we can't go back, which means business as usual will no longer be usual. So uh, we, we need, again, to begin saying, like, right now, right now. That, that's like a mantra, right now, right now, right now. How can we in these moments take hold and ask ourselves in this moment right now, um, as we see these things creep up, like, okay, what is it that needs in me right now to be addressed? So when we think about our worries, our concerns, what, okay, what needs to change? Now, the hero's uh, journey of which Campbell writes is ultimately a story about transformation, not just change, but deep transformation from the inside out. And so as we stay in the right now, right now, right now, which, by the way, is what um, St. Paul refers to as taking every thought captive. And as those things surface, um, maybe the best thing you can do right now is take a moment to observe those things. And for this to happen, by the way, we need to spend time listening. And one thing I've heard from everyone, and by the way, it's true for me too, is we suddenly have a lot of time on our hands. Things... (laughs) Everything's been canceled. Uh, we are at home. And so the question is, how are we building in time to listen? 
to reflect, to be still. And for those of you who hear the word still and you immediately want to crawl out of your skin at the very thought of it, go for a walk. Go for a walk alone and just spend time listening. Uh, There's a practice that I learned recently called morning praise. It's going out early, early in the morning, like before sunrise, when you're just like right at the beginning of, uh, of dawn and greeting the day, like giving thanks for everything that you're seeing and experiencing and then watching the sunrise. Uh, I actually did this the other night. It's another practice I learned recently. It's called a night wander that I went out uh, in our neighborhood and like walked around at night down like near the woods and creek near my house with no lights, just like walking into this place that was because it was dark, kind of unfamiliar, uh, get in the woods, take your dog for a walk. If you have one, um, go outside, goodness gracious, go outside, get some sun on your face. Um, take a look at the trees around the place where you live. And if you've never done that, really spend time looking at them and maybe ask yourself a question like, why have I not done this before? Um, and so I, I say all this because really it's, when we think about this day, uh, one day at a time, right now, here now, what is one thing you can do now, today, with this time that you've been given? Let it be yours. Don't let anyone pressure you into making the choice. Let it be yours. Um, because we've been given a great moment, knowing that the more that we slow down, the more prepared we will be to see and hear the deeper things within us longing to be noticed. What about, uh, we can't go back, um, even though some of us might want to in our minds. And that surface for me, gratitude. Um, this season has been a struggle for so many of us. All the things we cannot do, right? Uh, it's easy to focus on that. But, but I've begun thinking like, okay, why am I bothered that I can't do those things? Well, I'm bothered I can't do those things because I really enjoy those things and I miss those things and I miss those people, right? Um, So what if we stopped and considered what those things actually brought to us? Like, for example, uh, one of the trips that was canceled was a uh, weekend away with some of my best friends, one of whom doesn't live in the state and it was going to be three nights, I think it was. Um, why Why am I disappointed? Well, because I, I love those guys. They're like, my, they're like my brothers, or in the words of Quentin Tarantino, a little bit more than a brother and a little, little less than a wife. Um, so how do I give thanks for them, for their friendship, for what it all means to me? Um, no bars, no restaurants. Boy, that's a bummer. Because one of the things that my wife and I love to do is to go out and eat and like enjoy time around a dinner table with friends or even just with each other and not be in a hurry. That's gone. Um, gym's closing. Man, I love, I really, really enjoy um, exercise. Just one of the things I really, so now, oh, well, it's not only exercise, but it's also not gratitude for a, a, a body that I've been given that can still do that. Um, working from home. It's not just working from home. I am privileged in the sense that I get to spend the best part of my day uh, doing what I love with people that I deeply love. Um, and I miss connecting with our staff. Sure. I can do it like over FaceTime, but there's nothing like 
high fives and hugs and just that physical presence, right? So how do I give gratitude for them? And then it's not only all the things we've lost, but what do we still possess? What do we still possess? You see, it's possible we could go right back to things um, when, whenever all of this social distancing thing clears up and somehow forget how it felt when all of this was taken from us for a season. We might actually realize in this moment when we look at all that we still possess, how much we actually do have because all these other things have been pulled away from us. And not only practicing gratitude, like by writing it down, or, but also how do you practice gratitude when you speak to somebody? I was in Target the other day. I had to go early because we needed toilet paper. <laughs> Five people in our household, we were getting down to just a few rolls. And so I go to the aisle. It's almost all completely um, gone. And there's this guy who's unpacking boxes as fast as he can of toilet paper. And people are like lined up six feet apart to get the toilet paper. Nobody's looking at him. And so I walked up and I just said, how you doing today? And he looked up and he just, he did look so tired. And I said, thank you so much for doing all that you can to keep this stuff on the shelf. Let's just paint the picture. I'm in Target. I'm in a grocery store aisle. I'm picking up toilet paper. I'm speaking to a guy with a box cutter in his hand at Target. And I say, thank you. And his response, his eyes welled up with tears. See, like, it, it's interesting. In these moments, like, we can't go back. So we could, we could waste so much time talking about the inconvenience and how we just wish we could or how it was so great when or it's going to be better if, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. gratitude now. So let's not miss this moment. Um, Let's write down what we're grateful for. Let's tell friends what we're grateful for. Let's say thank you to people who are still doing everything they can to make this moment as as sane as it it possibly is. And then I would say this. um, What if we use this time to get outside of our own selves? You see, this is one of the best ways to move beyond our own self in this moment. Um we need to connect. We need to reach out. We need to serve. We need to practice love. We need to see love in action and remember how powerful love really is, that love is ultimately what transforms us and others in ways we can't imagine. And it's love that triumphs over fear. And I can promise you we need this more than we know. We always do, but somehow in this moment, it's like amplified. Like I said, it's a revealing we, we need this more than we know. And I say this because there was another epidemic that I was reading a lot about before the coronavirus epidemic, now pandemic, arrived. And the other epidemic I was reading a lot about is the epidemic of loneliness. And I can tell you this. The epidemic of loneliness is claiming lives too. And loneliness, like the coronavirus, does not know... Uh, has no borders. It's everywhere. And it's, an, it's settled into the minds and hearts of millions of people. And for so long, we had this idea like, oh, we're so connected, we're so connected, we're so connected. All of a sudden, we're forced to stay home. And we're like, oh my gosh, we are so deeply disconnected. Um, and in this short time, I, I can tell you, um, I can't tell you actually how many people I've heard from who've written emails and 
um, shared some text messages and phone calls about how deeply isolating this feels for them. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so painful to, to be with them in that. And so I wonder like, what does your neighbor need? Um, who can call you or who can you call during this week to check in with? Um, my wife and I have some friends, they texted us about, um, a FaceTime happy hour. And we were like, yes, they've just gone through a really difficult time with the loss of a loved one. We were all like, I had plans to get together when they got back. Then they had to go into quarantine because of their travel. And so like, what about a FaceTime happy hour? Like, yes, of course, let's do this. Little touch points. This is what we, uh, that's what we need. Just little touch points. People need to know you're thinking of them. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the things that's helpful too to remember is the governor has been doing phone calls with uh, clergy across the state. And one of the things, things that he said is you can put a chair outside and sit 10 feet away from your neighbor and talk to each other. Yesterday, we had, I don't know, maybe eight people um, spread out all across a part of my neighbor's driveway, um, just hanging out and talking to each other. And nobody got close, but it was so refreshing. And everybody who walked up was like, oh, I've been waiting for this. Um, maybe you just need to put some chairs out, 10 feet apart, invite people to sit next to each other um, because we don't need to isolate. And one thing um, that I'm doing that I do want to share with you is I've started a list of names. I think I'm, I'm over 50 people now. Um, and each day I'm just reading each name out loud. And then I pause after each name. Um, and I'm doing this because I, it, it's a way for me to remember, like, that we're all in this together. So, and it's a way for me to pray for people as well. So I just read a name and then I pause. No words, just their name and a pregnant pause, remembering as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, uh, the spirit groans with us as in the pains of childbirth when we don't know what to say. And um, so I trust that. I trust that in that pause, there, like the spirit's groaning is in like the pains of childbirth because I don't know what to say. And by the way, I would love to read your name every day um, as a reminder for myself that we're in this together and as a way of praying for you. And so if you want prayer, whether it's just for your sanity in the everyday, um, just send me an email, um, put on the subject prayer list, and then just write your name. And... Um, Every day I will read your name and I will pause, trusting the Spirit is, is praying for you in ways that I couldn't even imagine doing. Um, another way, another question is like, how can you connect with friends together? Um, Life-size conference calls, by the way, has uh, free six months, no membership for up to 25 people, unlimited call time. So we had all of our staff members download life-size um, conference calls and we're beginning to host conversations for people at Denver Community Church who just want to see each other and connect and talk. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's hard to know how many people are feeling the loneliness now and experiencing the isolation. And I want to remember that if this is the first time you've ever experienced a sense of loneliness or isolation, I want to encourage us to remember so many people feel and experience this every single day in ways we can't imagine, in ways that we are not aware of. And in all of this, we need to remember, like, there's no turning back. 
And so we have this moment that we have been, been given to us in which we can create new habits and new rhythms and new ways of seeing and thinking and speaking. Let's not waste this because we have a moment right now in which we can be transformed. And that is the point of this entire journey. That is the point of the hero's journey. The hero's journey has its end with the hero undergoing transformation. And by the way, this transformation always involves pain or some kind of death. But when the hero undergoes the pain, undergoes the depth, looks into their fears, they eventually return back home, back to their villages, so to speak. And the hero then is able to serve the village in a way that they were, would never have been able to serve if they had not undergone a death and burial and a resurrection. But now they're transformed and now they're changed. And so now they're able to serve in new and more helpful and healthy ways. And so the reality is we will return to home. We will go back to our village. That is new normal at some point. Like the kids will go back to school um, the economy at some point will recover. We will enjoy time at a restaurant dinner table with friends again. All of that's going to happen. The question is, will we go back transformed? Will we peer deeply over the edge of our hearts into our souls by doing something simple like just minding the way we project our fear? Will we develop new habits and new rhythms in our lives? Will we seek to put hands and feet on love by serving and connecting in ways we never have? Will we pay attention to all we have to be grateful for, all that we long for that's been taken away from us, and all that we still possess? See, through no choice of our own, we've crashed into this new world, the unknown, a zone of experience, places outside the normal traffic of the village, a strange no-man's land, a world between worlds, and the question is, what will we do with this moment in which we find ourselves? What kind of person will we be when this is over? That is a question that we need to ask ourselves. What kind of person will I be when this is over? And that is a choice that we can make. And my hope for all of you is that you begin or continue having conversations about the COVID-19 pandemic, both with yourself and with others, so that we might become those who are more and more transformed. And that, my friends, is it for today. In a couple of weeks, as I said at the beginning, we will be back engaging your questions together. If you have anything that you would love to see explored, you can send me an email, or you can hit me up on direct message at, on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, and please don't hesitate to send those in. But until that time, my prayer for you is that you would stay safe, that you would practice social distance, that you would wash your hands, and that you would put flesh and bone on love, that when people see you, they would have an understanding of what love looks like in human form. So again, my friends, that is it for today. And until next time, as always, so much love and may peace be with you.